Hello and welcome to the Legally Podcasts, hosted by Belgium law firm Liederkerke. Our aim is to provide you with relevant and helpful insights and perspectives into current legal topics, issues your business might be faced with, and trends in our domains of expertise. These podcasts only wish to offer you some outlooks on different hot topics, but are not intended to constitute legal advice or substitute it. The content provided is for informational purposes only. Today, we welcome Vincent Muche, competition partner and merger specialist, and Nina Carlier, associate within our office's competition practice, who will, again in the effective 10 practical to the point questions format, share valuable insights around trade associations and competition law challenges encountered by in-house counsel in that respect. Thank you for the introduction, and thank you for joining us for our second competition podcast. Today, we will address the topic of trade associations and competition law challenges encountered by the in-house counsel and set out by Van Sommers. Let us immediately dive into it and kick off with the first and basic question on what the aim of the trade association activity is. Thanks, Nina. That's a great first question. As by nature, trade association activity is risky from a competition law compliance perspective as in most of the times, it regroups competitors. In the past, trade associations have been a forum for many cartel cases, and therefore they are regarded with suspicion by competition authorities. So the first question indeed is whether a company has an objective and legitimate purpose to participate to trade association activity. And we know that most trade associations indeed pursue legitimate common industry objectives, including awareness raising, industry monitoring, advocacy, etc. Correct. So trade associations fulfill an important role for an industry. But they understand that it might not always be easy to correctly capture all the competitional risk that might come along with trade association activity. Good point. First of all, there might simply be a difference in competition compliance awareness within the trade association and the borderline between legitimate discussions and anti-competitive behavior is not always obvious, making that innocent legitimate conversations can easily turn into cartel behavior. And we know that mere passive presence at an anti-competitive meeting is sufficient to be on the hook. Also, less obvious anti-competitive behavior can include, for instance, discriminatory trade association membership rules, anti-competitive provisions in code of conducts, insufficient number of members increasing the risk of collusion, list of poor payers blacklists, etc. Okay, so now we have our first view of the subtle risks. But what should we verify in practice before joining the trade association? That goes back to what we said before. Are the trade association activities legal? Is the trade association aware of competition law? Does it have a compliance guide or a statement at the beginning of the meeting? Is an external lawyer attending the meetings? Is membership open to all those who meet non-discriminatory objective and uniformly applied criteria? It is also important to check whether the trade association is disseminating any statistics. So, 
let's say that the trade association that we want to join ticks the boxes and the trade association now invites us to its first meeting. What should we do before and after a trade association meeting? Before we check the purpose of the meeting and the written agenda. After the meeting, we immediately review the minutes for accuracy and we correct any inaccuracies promptly. Which leads me to the following question. What should we do during a trade association meeting? During the meeting, we check, first of all, the reading out of a competition compliance reminder at the beginning of the meeting. Obviously, we stick to the agenda and throughout the meeting, we are vigilant as to what is discussed and we are particularly careful when it comes to discussions in subcommittees, fringe meetings or in social setting. In terms of content, what we can discuss are, for instance, non-confidential, technical or regulatory issues relevant to the industry, industry public relations or lobbying, trends in public opinion or product concerns or industry image, as long as all this does not result into an alignment of competitive behaviour. And likewise, what should we absolutely not do during a trade association meeting? There, the classic rules apply. No exchange of competitively sensitive information between competitors. So no discussions on prices or price elements, company costs, sales volumes, future business plans or any confidential information. And Vincent, how should we react if, despite the fact that we are very careful, all of a sudden we find ourselves steering to a risky discussion? What should we do? That's a good one. Make it immediately clear that you cannot discuss such matters. Insist that these discussions stop and ask to change the subject. If the conversation continues, leave the meeting and ensure that your departure and the reason for it is noted in the minutes of the meeting. And you should inform your legal department of what has happened. Okay, and on a different note, would it be okay to receive industry statistics from my trade association? Sure, provided that the required competition compliance safeguards have been put in place, such as the fact that an independent third-party company or a trade association staff member without connection to the members confidentially collects and disseminates the statistics, that the statistics are sufficiently aggregated and the underlying data sufficiently historic, as a rule of thumb, all than one year. And the statistics disseminated should not be accompanied by any comments or recommendations. Another classic question in this context is how to deal with lobbying initiatives. Lobbying indeed is one of the key activities of trade associations as it is a legitimate means to influence proposed or existing legislation. The basic rule there is that you should ensure that all information legitimately shared is directly related to the joint advocacy and strictly limited to what is required to undertake the joint advocacy effectively. If an exchange of commercially sensitive information is required, we should again put in place the required safeguards to avoid any spillover between the members. Finally, ensure that the joint advocacy in practice does not result into an alignment of commercial behavior or marketing strategy. Thank you, that's very interesting. 
And finally, to wrap up this podcast, and probably the most important question for our audience, could you set out what the in-house council should monitor? Three things that in-house council should keep in mind going forward. One, map out current trade association attendance and keep track of new memberships within your organization. Check the membership rules and the purpose. Two, make a compliance risk assessment by reviewing the bylaws, any codes of conduct, disseminated statistics, etc. And three, train attendees and create a culture of competition compliance and risk awareness within your organization. Thank you, Vincent. This is all very clear. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed our second competition podcast in the series 10 Minutes, 10 Questions. Our next topic will be Surviving the Dawn Rate Minefield. Thank you very much, Vincent and Nina, for your valuable insights. If you want to know more on this topic, please visit our website competition page and contact our specialists. Thank you very much for listening today. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast and that the content will be useful. Please visit our website, www.liederkirke.com and subscribe to our podcasts. All episodes are available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher and Google Podcasts.